Nobody can be too Jewish. That's exactly it. You got it. <laughs> <laughs> Shalom and welcome to the Two Jewish Radio Show with Rabbi Sam Kohan and Friends, a weekly serving of everything Jewish. We'll have a great hour together today of news, music, comedy, and conversation. Our guest this morning is Shoshona Nambi, first woman rabbi of the Abiyudaya Jewish community of Uganda and author of the new children's book, The Very Best Sukkah, a story from Uganda. We'll also have a visit from our expert on the international Jewish scene, Tom Price. Please email your comments to us at 2JewishRadio18 at gmail.com or visit us on the web at 2JewishRadio.com. The opinions of the host and guests on 2Jewish are their own and not those of the radio station. 2Jewish is paid for by 2Jewish Radio programs and podcasts, Tucson, Arizona. And now, here's Rabbi Sam Kohan and 2Jewish. Shalom. The senatorial, congressional, and gubernatorial elections will complete in-person voting in a couple of days, and I, for one, will be greatly relieved not to have to watch any more political ads on television, Google, Yahoo, YouTube, Facebook, by text, or listening to those on the radio. It's not as though most of the political ads have been positive, either. I would guess that seven-eighths or something of them have been negative political ads, harshly criticizing opposition candidates with statements and images combining half-truths, insinuations, and outright lies in an attempt to sway voters. I wonder if it was an election year in Haran when Abram lived there, our great ancestor, later Abraham, Maybe he wasn't leaving Sumeria for the promised land because God called him after all. Maybe he was just escaping horrible election campaign ads. In recent years, negative attack ads have become more specific and much more ubiquitous. Everybody running is called a crook, is supposed to have evil business connections or foreign connections, is corrupt. Even anti-Semitic ads implying Jewish control of the world economy or of a particular candidate are okay now. And while I would wager that originally more negative ads came from one political side, there are plenty of negative ads on the other side, too. I guess our current leaders believe you cannot win an election if you don't climb down into the gutter. Maybe the sewer. It also seems to get worse every single electoral cycle now. Robo-phone calls coming in every hour. Robo-texts from changing numbers multiple times a day. Pop-ups on search engines, emails, ads on social media and old-line media. Road signs everywhere, a mailbox full of political ads, almost all negative. It's genuinely horrible. Now, perhaps this is just a rabbinic fantasy, but let's take a moment and imagine a world in which the rules, the Jewish rules, that is, of Lashon Hara, ethics of speech, applied to all political advertising. That would mean that all negative ads by candidates, super PACs, national committees, outside interests would just be banned. In that imaginary American campaign world, you could say as many positive things about your own candidate as you'd like, and about your party if you wish, or over any medium you chose. 
but you couldn't spend funds, creativity, and effort to create a negative image of the opposing candidate. You couldn't attack him or her personally. You couldn't commit Lashon Hara by making ugly innuendos about their family. You couldn't insinuate they were involved with international Jewish cartels to control the country. You certainly couldn't engage in Motsi Shemra, slander, and simply lie about them over social media or the airwaves or in texts, emails, websites, news programs, and so on. Imagine if American political campaigns were required to focus on the strengths of their own candidate, her or his accomplishments and good qualities. Imagine if they had to actually put out ads about the policies the candidates advocate or the ideas that motivated the candidate to run in the first place or his or her goals if he or she won the election instead of merely saying awful things about the opponent and trying to scare voters. Imagine a politics of the positive instead of the mess we have now. What was that ancient song? Accentuate the positive and eliminate the negative. Wouldn't that be a machaya, a pleasure for everyone in our society? I'm afraid it's too late to save the standards of this 2022 election year, but I don't think it's too late to begin to move towards civility, honesty, and positivity in society and in our lives. By choosing to embrace those standards of Lashon Hara, the ethics of speech, in our own actions, our own conduct, our own words, by refusing to pay attention to those ugly ads that flood our lives in this election cycle, in every election cycle now, well, maybe we can follow a course that will lead our country, and maybe even our world, to wholeness, honesty, and positivity. Maybe. Then, if we can do that, perhaps the next election cycle, we might see some real change in the way that words and images are used and misused. To play us in this morning, here's a song from the Abayudaya Jews of Uganda, the people of our guest on Two Jewish Today. The words of this song are appropriate for how we ought to treat one another, especially in an election year how good it is for us to be with others together. A unique Hine Matov. In the matavu, umanaimu, cheveti achim, gam yahadu. In the matavu, umanaimu, cheveti achim, gam yahadu. Lava we kulia, kulundi we Lava we kulia, kulunji we kusanyusa. Abo luganda, o kutula. Inema tavu, umanaimu. Shebeti achim, gam 
That was the Abu Daya's recording of Hine Matov. Our guest this morning, Shoshana Nambi, is the first woman rabbinical student to come from the Abu Daya Jews of Uganda and the author of a new children's book reflecting Ugandan Jewry. Meet the person who will be the first Ugandan rabbi in history when we return on Too Jewish. We are the soul of Tucson. We are your neighbors and friends. Our commitment to provide the very best relies on the finest products and services you, our community, has to offer. Together, we make Tucson thrive. When we win, you win. Casino del Sol, the soul of Tucson. Enterprise of the Pasquayaki tribe. Do you know someone who personally made a major difference for the whole Jewish people? An individual who's done important work for Klal Yisrael and deserves to be highly recognized for that effort. As president of the Kohan Memorial Foundation, I'm grateful that the modest cash awards we started more than 10 years ago have grown into a substantial amount of unrestricted funds given to winners with the help of donors like many of you. The foundation, named for my grandparents, Rabbi Samuel S. Kohan and Irma Kohan, makes these awards for important service to Klal Yisrael, the entire Jewish people. That service can be in one of four activities, unity, education, creative arts, or rescue. Past Kohan Award recipients are remarkable people who've done outstanding work. If you know someone who qualifies for a Kohan Foundation Award, please go to kohanaward.com, C-O-H-O-N, award.com, and fill out the simple nomination form. That website is kohanaward.com. Nominate an individual or donate yourself. Do it for the whole Jewish people. We are delighted to welcome to Two Jewish our guest this morning. Shoshana Nambi is a rabbinical student. She is the first woman rabbinical student from the Abu Yudaya people of Uganda and has written a wonderful new kids' book, The Very Best Sukkah, a story from Uganda. Good morning and welcome to Two Jewish. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me today. So um, tell us a little bit about your journey to uh, Hebrew Union College to becoming, um, I guess you probably will be the first reform rabbi from the Abu Yudaya. That's right. Um, yeah, so it's, uh, it's been a long time coming. I, um, uh, back in Uganda, I, I, I was active in the community and I was one of those kids who, you know, people said, maybe you will be a rabbi and here I am proving them right. Um, so I used to take kids out during services to teach them Hebrew songs and I went to Hebrew school. Um, but I also went, I, after that, I went to university and studied business administration. I also studied um, a degree in HIV education and uh, counseling in the communities which I worked for about five years. And I also did a lot of agriculture work, training farmers in modern farming techniques and improved crops. Um, so I think that my, um, you know, I, I, I went to summer camp, I came to summer camp in the U.S. Um, 2000, from 2014, I believe, 15 actually, it must have been, at Camp, uh, Camp Coleman in uh, Cleveland, Georgia. And um, I met several yeah. rabbis there. I, I, who, I, I know that camp. I actually was a camp yeah. rabbi there at one point. Keep going. Oh, anyway, it's a wonderful Many years camp. ago. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. So I was there for about, 
I've been there for about three or four summers, four summers probably. Um, so I met several rabbis and, uh, you know, I encountered different, you know, tefillah alongside the lake and, you know, the songs and everything. So it just uh, gave me a different feel for prayers. I already love prayers and I love, you know, Torah and I, I loved everything Jewish. And so it just and but I don't I didn't know where to start from, you know, applying to, to rabbinic school. So the rabbis at the camp helped me, you know, we talked for hours. I would talk to several rabbis and so they introduced me to Hebrew Union College and I I flew to New York and I came to the campus and did a tour and after and here I am in my fourth year of rabbinic school. I did I started after two years in, in Jerusalem, one with H Hebrew Union College and another one at uh Hades. Jewish Institute of Learning. So it's quite a quite a journey, and we will talk much more about the Abu Yudaya because I'm sure many of our listeners uh, don't know that much about it. I should note that uh, Rabbi Gershom Shizomu was a, a past guest of Two Jewish. Um, oh boy, almost ten years ago now, uh, and we'll talk about your relationship with him too when we come back in a moment here on Two Jewish. Beit Simcha, the House of Joy, a wonderful Jewish synagogue in the northwest of Tucson in the Catalina Foothills, celebrates a great array of services, classes, and events this fall. Established by passionate, caring congregants and me, Rabbi Sam Kohan, Beit Simcha is a vibrant, vital community that strives daily to serve God with joy. A progressive congregation in northwest Tucson and the Foothills, Beit Simcha is open to everyone throughout the metropolitan area, providing Shabbat services Friday night and Saturday morning, youth and adult education academy courses, social justice opportunities, outreach, life cycle programming, and cultural Jewish programs. Join us in person for Shabbat services or come on Facebook Live. Go to our website, BeitSimchaTucson.org, B-E-I-T-S-I-M-C-H-A, Tucson.org. We welcome members and guests both in person and online. You can call 520-276-5675 for more information. Religious school is in full swing for school-aged children or grandchildren. Join us in our fabulous Hebrew school, bar and bat mitzvah programs, Torah Tykes Experience, Confirmation, and Teen Programs in a fun, relaxed setting with great Jewish learning. Go to BeitSimchaTucson.org to sign up, B-E-I-T-S-I-M-C-H-A-Tucson.org. Our services, classes, and events are open to everyone. In-person Friday night is at 6.30 p.m., Saturday morning Torah study at 9 a.m., and services at 10 a.m., all with me, Rabbi Sam Kohan, leading them. You can email me directly, rabbi at beitsimchatucson.org, B-E-I-T-S-I-M-C-H-A-Tucson.org, or come to services on our Facebook page, Beit Simcha Tucson, B-E-I-T-S-I-M-C-H-A Tucson. All of our Adult Education Academy classes are in blended format, live and on Zoom. Again, email me, rabbi at beitsimchatucson.org, or go to our website. Our wonderful religious school is available in blended format, too. Some students live, some on Zoom. For more information about Beit Simcha to come to services, religious school and Torah text programs, bar and bat mitzvah, confirmation, high school programs, and rich array of adult education academy courses, taught live and on Zoom, and all of our services in person and on Facebook, go to BeitSimchaTucson.org. B-E-I-T-S-I-M-C-H-A Tucson.org or call 520-276-5675 That's 
276-5675-BeitSimcha-Tucson.org. Join me, Rabbi Sam Kohan, and the fastest-growing Jewish congregation community in all of Arizona and in our exciting beginning years. If you have a question, comment, compliment, or criticism, Kvetch or Kvel, please email us at 2JewishRadio18 at gmail.com. That's T-O-O-JewishRadio18 at gmail. Or visit our website, 2JewishRadio.com. You can hear all past and present shows through the website, T-O-O-JewishRadio.com. Streaming us from there, downloading us from the Apple iTunes Store or Podbean as podcast. Top 10 in America, according to Moment Magazine. Over 175,000 downloads on Podbean and now on Spotify, too. Post a five-star rating. Review Too Jewish wherever you listen to us. Those comments help. The stories we share last a lifetime and are passed down from generation to generation, known for our compassionate commitment to the families we serve. Evergreen Mortuary and Cemetery has faithfully served the Tucson community and the Jewish community for over 100 years. We help thousands of families plan and carry out celebrations of loved ones in unique and special ways and assist them in sharing those lifetimes of stories meaningfully. The most beautiful and tranquil final resting place in all of Southern Arizona, Evergreen's tall pines shade peaceful grassy fields. You can count on Evergreen for superior service and the highest degree of integrity. Our informative, well-trained staff is here to assist you with a full range of on-site services. Call Evergreen. 520-888-7470, 520-888-7470. While we serve the whole community, our experience conducting Jewish funerals, Reform, Conservative, and Orthodox is second to none. We have sections dedicated to all religious faiths, can help you arrange for your future needs or your immediate ones. Whether you choose to hold a traditional funeral service or a completely individualized ceremony, either in person or online or both, Our goal is to help you create a meaningful, personalized service based upon your unique needs in a place of reflection, tradition, and serenity. Evergreen Mortuary and Cemetery offers the best to the community and to you. Call 520-888-7470. To speak to a family advisor at Evergreen, call 520-888-7470. We welcome our expert on the international Jewish scene, Tom Price. Good morning, Tom. Good morning, Rabbi. We started talking last week uh, about the evolution of the modern movements of Judaism coming out of a small part of what, uh, of course, eventually becomes Germany, and then um, the rapid emancipation of the Jews moving into all kinds of professions and the rise, perhaps in response to that, of a different kind of anti-Semitism, different in quality from the old medieval and church-based anti-Semitism that developed. Um, you could say those two things catalyzed almost everything about modern Judaism, from the development of the state of Israel to the Holocaust, uh, maybe in reverse order, but it's, it's a complicated question. All right, I'm going to leave to you the gestation of the various modern movements of Ashkenazic Jewry, which did all find their birth in 19th century spaces that eventually became part of Germany. But I want to return to an old hobby horse of mine, which people who've listened to this show more than once over the past 18 years. How old is the show now? 20 years. 20 years. You've been here from the beginning. Okay. 
So people who have listened to this show more than once or twice will have heard me talk before about the fact that European countries that we take for granted as monolithic, powerful entities like the UK, France, Germany, Italy, Spain, are actually modern creations. They're amalgamations of lots of different places, kingdoms, duchies, city-states, whatever, um, mini-states, if you will, that have, in many cases, different languages, different foods, different cultures, and very different histories. Different religions, too. I mean, Absolutely. All kinds of differences. Right. I mean, think of the all the wars that took place in the space that's now called the UK between Catholics and Protestants, yeah. or the fact that northern Germany is essentially Protestant and southern Germany is Catholic. Um, but, you know, you go to a place like... Spain, which we think of as monolithic since 1492 because of Ferdinand and Isabella, but then you realize that that was Castile and Aragon, maybe, but not, or Castile and Leon, yeah. but not Aragon and not Galicia yeah. and not Catalonia. Yeah. Yeah, the people and, in Barcelona don't feel that way about right, it. Right, exactly. And, and the foods and languages and different traditions reflect this. So, uh, let alone the Basques in the north right. and so on. So yeah. for us, it's comfortable to think in terms of these constants like Germany. But there was no such thing as Germany at the beginning of the 19th century. Germany didn't emerge until the 1870s, roughly the same time as Italy emerged. And most people would be surprised to know, but the first capital of modern Italy wasn't Rome or Milano. It was Torino yeah. in the far northwest in what used to be the capital of Savoy. And the first king of Italy was the king of Savoy, Vittorio Emanuele. And, and all of this impacts the Jewish communities because while they live in, you know, they're very different relationships depending on which part of the country the Jews were in in most of these places. Right. Well, I mean, my point is maybe to underscore the obvious, but... There is historically no such thing as a German Jewish community or an Italian Jewish community or a French Jewish community. The communities varied by region and even by city, as did everybody else. I mean, the Jews were like everybody else in the sense that there was no such thing historically as a German Jew, although we make jokes about yuckies and whatever. We do. I mean, that's... That's a modern construct that only is valid from the last third of the 19th century. Really interesting. And uh, we'll continue to explore these questions next week. Thanks, I look Tom. forward to it. It's time now for our old Jewish joke of the week. Jewish humor, your Bubby and Zadie New, brought to you by Two Jewish as a public service. One day, eight-year-old Rachel says to her mother, Mommy, I've been thinking about people. I don't understand something. How did human beings first appear on Earth? That's a good question, darling, her mother says. God made Adam and Eve, and they had children, and then their children had children, and as a result, the human race began. Later that day, Rachel asks her dad the same question. Daddy, how did humans appear on Earth? That's an intelligent question, Rachel, he says. Millions of years ago, there were monkeys from which gradually the human race evolved. 
Rachel is confused. She goes back to her mother. Mommy, how come you said the human race was created by God, yet Daddy says we came from monkeys? Well, darling, replies her mother, the answer is simple. I told you about my side of the family. Your father told you about his. That was the old Jewish joke of the week special feature of Two Jewish. Just for you, you should live and be well. And now a word of Torah. At the beginning of this week's portion of Vayera, our great ancestor Abraham sees strangers approach across the desert. He's living in the area of Beersheba, then is now the main settlement of the Negev Desert in the Arava, the great rift valley that runs all the way down to Eilat on the Gulf of Aqaba. Beersheba turns out to be a surprisingly important place in Breshid in Genesis, something of the main residential area for the semi-nomadic generations of Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Rebekah, and for a time at least, Esau and Jacob too. At the end of last week's portion of Lechacha, Abraham received the Brit, the great covenant of circumcision. According to commentaries, as Vayera begins, Abraham is still convalescing from his own circumcision. He sees strangers approach. Because of his deep commitment to Hachnasat Orchim, welcoming visitors, he rises from his seated position, rushes to greet the travelers, and insists they accept his hospitality. He has his wife Sarah prepare a meal, washes the stranger's feet, provides them with refreshment while they wait for dinner. What Abraham can't know is that the weary travelers are actually Malachim, angel messengers sent by God. In Breshit, angels are single-use beings who deliver messages, one message per angel. So it proves to be here, more or less. The first Malach delivers the message that the aged Sarah will bear the even older Abraham, their first child. The second angel is present, according to the rabbinic commentators, to heal Abraham from the circumcision he had to perform on himself with a flint knife. People were tougher then. The third angel will go on to warn Lot about the coming destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Three angels, three tasks. There is some ambiguity about this, however. The Torah tells us that two Malachim, two angel messengers, actually visited Lot in Sodom. The commentaries resolve this by noting that bringing the good news of Sarah's upcoming pregnancy and healing Abraham are actually both beautiful, elevated acts similar in generosity and graciousness, and both excellent actions could be ascribed to just one angel. The other duties of the angels, saving Lot and destroying Sodom, are so different that they require different angel messengers. It's an odd division of labor. No good news, bad news angels? No combination of positive and negative messages in one messenger? Perhaps there's a reason for this. There is wisdom in the way the Torah delineates between those given the charge of providing positive tidings and those who bring the opposite. There are definitely times it's much better to receive good news undiminished by caveats or conditions, to hear the unvarnished truth in bad news, clear, straight. In a world in which every truth seems to come adulterated by ambiguities, in which incontrovertible facts are denied daily, in which every candidate for office has his or her own set of truths, often unrelated to reality, Vayera reminds us that some things in life really are good news, and others really are bad news. We need to be clear on which is which. 
That clarity could be very welcome today, as it was in Abraham's time. When we come back on To Jewish, our guest this morning, Shoshana Nambi, tells us more about her Abu Yudaya Jewish community in Uganda and how she came to be a student at a rabbinical school in New York. Find out all of that when we return in a moment on Two Jewish. We continue with our Two Jewish update on news of Jews around the world with commentary. There is news to report this week from Israel. Yes, that's right. After elections in Israel this past week, one thing has become clear. Bibi Netanyahu will return to the prime minister's job after a year and a half out of office. The various corruption cases against him did not stop his coalition from taking 65 seats in the upcoming Knesset, four more than necessary for a majority in the Israeli parliament. This constitutes a big margin in the closely divided Israeli electorate, which has had five national elections in just the last three years. And so... He's back! He's back! Voldemort's back! That's right. Benjamin Bibi Netanyahu, previously prime minister for 12 years during his second term in office, will be given the mandate to form the next national government of Israel. For the record, 10 years before his last long stint, he was prime minister for three years way back in the 90s, by the way. And then again, from 2009 to 2021 in various coalitions and power sharing agreements, All of those end up with Netanyahu at the head of government just like this. Ah, but this time. Netanyahu's coalition consists of allies primarily from the right, the far right, the very far right, and the even farther right of the Israeli political spectrum. Expected to be included in his government are two highly controversial, that is to say perhaps outright racist politicians, but Salel Smotrich of the Religious Zionism Party and Itamar Ben-Gvir of the Kahana-style Otsma Yehudit Party. Their combined party garnered 15 seats in the upcoming Knesset, making them kingmakers for Netanyahu. It would take at least a couple of weeks for the transition of power to be complete in Israel. There's always jockeying for plum jobs in the new government. But it seems certain that Smotrich and Ben-Gvir will be given important portfolios by Netanyahu. This is certainly of concern to centrists and liberal Israelis who view those two as dangerously on the radical right of Israeli society. The election was expected to be close, but ultimately after three years of razor-thin margins... This was a fairly clear mandate for the right in Israeli politics, which the public knew meant, you guessed it. Bibi is back. He will shortly return from his brief exile from the prime minister's chair. It will be interesting to see if and how his new allies on the extreme right influence Israeli policies going forward. Okay already, Bibi Netanyahu is back. 
On our anti-Semitism update, sadly now becoming a weekly feature of the two Jewish news of Jews around the world, Kyrie Irving, star guard for the Brooklyn Nets, retweeted a link to an anti-Semitic film and book and then strongly defended his actions in a disastrous news conference. Kyrie's acts provoked a hailstorm of sharp criticism from a wide variety of people associated with professional basketball. Joe Tsai, governor or kind of owner of his team, which pays Irving tens of millions of dollars a year to play for them, said, I'm disappointed Kyrie appears to support a film based on a book full of anti-Semitic disinformation. I want to sit down and make sure he understands this is hurtful to all of us. And as a man of faith, it is wrong to promote hate based on race, ethnicity, or religion. Indeed. The Nets, who are off to a brutal start to their season, fired their coach, Steve Nash, then lost game, dropped their record to 2-6. and six. Now, that game was broadcast on TNT, that network. Three former stars who are part of TNT's broadcast team sharply criticized Kyrie Irving for his post and the league and its players for their tepid responses. Shaquille O'Neal called Irving an idiot. Charles Barkley said the league should have suspended him, and Reggie Miller criticized other players for not speaking out against Kyrie Irving's posts. By the way, all those guys are in the Hall of Fame. Meanwhile, Adam Silver, commissioner of the NBA, who is Jewish, had a muted reaction. And as we prepare this show, he had not suspended Kyrie. Sanity eventually returned. After meetings with the Anti-Defamation League, Kyrie Irving and the Nets donated 500000 each to fight hate and hate speech. And Irving released a statement in which he said, I am aware of the negative impact of my post towards the Jewish community, and I take responsibility. I do not believe everything said in the documentary was true or reflects my morals and principles. Irving added, he meant no harm to any one group, race, or religion. of People wish to be only a beacon of truth and light. Kyrie Irving is not the sharpest tool in the shed, even if he is a vice president of the NBA Players Union. He's a great basketball player, but as I recall, he believed the earth was flat for a long time. He's an anti-vaxxer who couldn't play in many games last season in a variety of stadiums that required players to have COVID vaccines. He has now removed this post, made the appropriately large donation to the right cause, standard crisis management strategy, and stayed away from unscripted microphone appearances. Well, what concerns me more is what I heard on Sports Talk Radio last week when the controversy was at its height. On one popular basketball program, I heard the announcers take a call filled with anti-Semitic BS, suggesting only Kyrie was being taken to task, not Jewish people. The caller went on to say that the negative impact of Kyrie's comments and the wave of canceled business relationships that followed Kanye West's much more virulently anti-Semitic comments in the weeks before demonstrated that the Jews control the world. And then the announcer said, you make excellent points. Instead of saying, you are a hate-filled imbecile and we are never allowing you on the air again. If you don't see anti-Semitism rising in our society, you're not paying attention. It's on the political right. It's on the political left. It's increasing in the black community. It's on college campuses. It's being spouted by oath keepers and militia groups parroted by progressive anti-Zionists who all blame Jews for everything. If we go into a genuine economic recession now, we will have another round of blame the Jews.
I don't wish to sound alarmist or negative, but for pity's sake, people, anti-Semitism is based in flat-out lies, which were deliberately invented to scapegoat the Jews and deflect people's attention from the real sources of their frustration with society. Anti-Jewish propaganda has its roots 2,000 years back, and the same BS being told back then is showing up in the mouths of insurrectionists wearing Camp Auschwitz t-shirts and in the posts of music luminaries and NBA stars. How weird is that? And how much does it demonstrate the pernicious evil in the lies of anti-Semites? In happier news, Rabbi James Rudin, a Reform rabbi and educator, longtime director of interreligious affairs at the American Jewish Community, the AJC, and the past guest of Two Jewish, will be knighted this week under the Papal Order of St. Gregory for his work on Catholic-Jewish relations. He will be the ninth Jewish person to receive the honor in the Order's nearly 200-year history. The knighthood recognizes people whose work has supported the Catholic Church. For more than 50 years, Rabbi James Rudin has worked to advance Catholic-Jewish relations and interfaith relations on a wider scale, with extraordinary skill, dedication, and success, said Cardinal Sean O'Malley, Archbishop of Boston, Mazel tov to Rabbi Sir James Rudin. And that's the two Jewish news of Jews around the world. The stories we share last a lifetime and are passed down from generation to generation known for our compassionate commitment to the families we serve. Evergreen Mortuary and Cemetery has faithfully served the Tucson community and the Jewish community for over 100 years. We help thousands of families plan and carry out celebrations of loved ones in unique and special ways and assist them in sharing those lifetimes of stories meaningfully. The most beautiful and tranquil final resting place in all of Southern Arizona, Evergreen's tall pines shade peaceful grassy fields. You can count on Evergreen for superior service and the highest degree of integrity. Our informative, well-trained staff is here to assist you with a full range of on-site services. Call Evergreen, 520-888-7470, 520-888-7470. While we serve the whole community, our experience conducting Jewish funerals, Reform, Conservative, and Orthodox is second to none. We have sections dedicated to all religious faiths, can help you arrange for your future needs or your immediate ones. Whether you choose to hold a traditional funeral service or a completely individualized ceremony, either in person or online or both, our goal is to help you create a meaningful, personalized service based upon your unique needs in a place of reflection, tradition, and serenity. Evergreen Mortuary and Cemetery offers the best to the community and to you. Call 520-888-7470. To speak to a family advisor at Evergreen, call 520-888-7470. We are very excited to welcome back the two Jewish, our guest this morning. Shoshana Nambi is a fourth-year rabbinical student now at Hebrew Union College. She will be the first Reform rabbi from the Abu Yudaya, the Ugandan Jewish community, and 
the first female rabbi of the Abu Yudaya. Um, she's also the author of a delightful new kids book about Sukkot, um, exploring how the Abu Yudaya uh, experienced that holiday. I, I expect a series, by the way, based on... Uh, on this first successful effort. Um, can you tell our listeners a little bit about the Abu Yudaya community, where they come from, and their connection with uh, their, I guess, development of Jewish identity in, in recent decades? Yes, so the Abu Yudaya community is more than um, 100 years old now. It's a Jewish community that started with one one person, one man who worked with the British and he was part of the Buganda kingdom and he was a soldier, he was many things. And so he was also a faith seeker. He, you know, he moved from one religion to another and he studied the Bible, the Christian Bible carefully. And so at some point he decided to concentrate on a few things that he he found in you know what was known for him to him as the Old Testament. So he circumcised his family. He you know did, did built a temple in his home and he kept Shabbat and you know he observed Pesach and all these things. And I think after a while he met somebody because he you know he would meet people in from. Uh, through Uganda, and so he met somebody who was Jewish, who told him that what he was doing looked so much like what Jewish people do around the world. So Semeka Kunglu was very excited and wanted to learn more about Judaism, and he decided he wanted to be Jewish from that time. Um, so for many years, the community was Jewish based on like observance in the Bible, in the Torah. Um, there was no, rabbinic Judaism was not uh, familiar for anyone, and unfortunately he died in 1928. And, but after he died, around that time, I am told there were about 2,000 Jews because he had friends who were, you know, leaders in other villages who had also gatherings and friends who became Jewish. And so it was about 2,000 people, but when he died, because he was the head and he was the, he had all the resources and, you know, he was the land leader, uh, the number of people uh, decreased. Um, but, you know, a few people, including my great-grandfather and a lot of other other friends of his, continued and learned more. And fast forward, I think now we have a fully ordained rabbi, Rabbi Geshem Zomu from Ziegler, and we have um, an, another ordained rabbi who, through the Orthodox movement, through Rabbi Rinskin from Israel, and I'm starting to be a rabbi, and we have about 10 synagogues, 10 Jewish communities ten, in ten, different villages. 10 communities in Uganda now. Tell me about the evolution of the Sukkot book and, uh, and how that came to pass. So the Sukkot book, the Sukkot story um, is... Um, a story of a spirited young woman who grew who grew up with her grandparents and has uh, two brothers, and who loved to decorate the sukkah with her family and also her community. Uh, but most importantly, she loves this. She she loves the sukkah walk. Um, that is kind of like a competition, but not formally, not formal competition. So. Um, but uh, I think, I mean, I mean among it, all the messages of the book is that, you know, she loves a good competition, but she usually competes with her brothers and on a, you know, on a small scale, but she's confronted with this big um, competition that is a bit ugly 
And then she really comes out learning that when that you know everybody wins when people work together. Um, so that spirited young woman, I I actually wrote about my own life growing up. Um, I grew up with my grandparents, and I have two brothers, and maybe but not by coincidence, my my brothers are Avram and David. Yeah. Um, and just by coincidence. <laughs> so I, just by coincidence. <laughs> So I grew up with my grandparents with a lot of love. We went to synagogue every Shabbat. We went to observe every Jewish holiday. I wore, you know, the same dress as my grandmother. We, she used to make this, you know, a, a big dress for her. And the, the material that was left was made for me. So that was like really pr- the proudest moments of my life. Um, so, and, and I grew up around the, the Jewish community as well, observing different holidays making Purim plays and Hanukkah plays. We do plays for every Jewish holiday, by the way. Um, so even even Yom, I, You even have Yom Kippur plays, huh? I have to think about that. I, we haven't yet. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how that would look like, but no doubt. Yeah, I'm not sure either, but that's okay. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I usually get invited by different Jewish communities um, to share the story of especially when I'm here to share the story of the Jewish community of Uganda and my own story. And one, I was on a Zoom, um, a Zoom call with an organization called Keshel. And so um, while I was talking about the community, somebody asked me from the audience about what my, my favorite childhood story is. And so I told them, I told them about the story of the sukkah walk where the rabbi led everybody. And we went around and, you know, looked at everybody's sukkah, we would talk for a minute and talk and then go to another person's sukkah and finally we would sit in this one sukkah that in my mind as a young child I was a winning sukkah. But I think, you know, we just sat wherever we sat. It was not a formal competition. <laughs> I made that up, but I really wanted to <laughs> pass along the message of the community working together because my community does work together a lot. Um, I grew up in everybody's house, you know, uh, when my daughter was young, she grew up in everybody's house when we were in Uganda. So the community does really work together, and that's um, one of the beautiful things that are in my community. So when I was telling that story, um, Lily Rosenstreich, who is the pro- uh, produce, uh, publisher, Kalaniot, was in the audience, and she wrote me an email later and said, you know, that sounds like a very nice story that you could put into a children's book, picture book. And so, you know, I, I had no idea how to write a book, but um, so we, we worked with her, and I agreed because I really wanted to put one of our stories, of the community stories, into writing. And, you know, um, I grew up not reading books at all. I went to a school with a hundred kids and the only person who had a book was the teacher. And uh, I just imagine how it would, you know, feel like for the kids in Uganda to read about their Jewishness, like their trees and their foods and the way they celebrate holidays in a book. I think that's something that I would have loved very much to read as a, as a young kid. Um, but also, you know, to tell, to, to you know, to, to teach people about the Jewish community of Uganda through this book. And um, so I've been really um, lucky and grateful that the book, like, the, you know, it has had a wide o- audience and, you know, people are learning about the Jewish community now. And, and so that's been very wonderful. So uh, I'm glad it's been well received. It's a delightful book. Um, 
I, I do think it's a great start. You know, there's a need for more Jewish holiday books that are not just about Hanukkah. Um, so, you know, the question is, I, I was just kidding, but it seems like it should have a series, don't you think? I, I do think so, too. I, I do think so, too. I, I began, I started out, you know, there's a, <laughs> I thought this is my debut book, and then I was like, oh, that really makes me have to write more books. But I think that I would, I want to write more books, and I think that I also want to encourage other people from the community to join me in writing books about, you know, children's books, write our own Haggadah, write our own, you know, um, our own books and make do our own Sidorim, which, you know, teaches our music and, uh, you know, it's like, so I, I feel like this is just the beginning. When you are ordained, God willing, which is now just a year and a half off or so, um, do you plan to go back to Uganda? So I do, I do plan to go back to Uganda. Um, two years ago, I knew I was going to go to Uganda immediately after I was ordained. My plans have changed a little bit, as they always do, uh, probably with a lot of people. Uh, but my daughter will, will be in her first year of high school here. And um, I do want her to finish high school before I go to Uganda. So I will have three more years in the U.S. But hopefully I'll be visiting home and working closely with the rabbi and other people at home. Um, but uh, after three years, um, and I'll go back home to Uganda. I just, I feel like, you know, I'm of course needed here, but I feel like I'm more needed in the community um, that I could bring back the experience and, and, and we, you know, we could study and learn together. Is there um, technically a reform synagogue in Uganda now? There's no reform synagogue. Uh, but the community is really open to me being a rabbi. It, it's a very it's a openly egalitarian community. Um, and um, I... I love the way we worship. I love, and I know the way we worship. I know how people love to study Torah. People always love to learn something new, and they would love for me to bring back the Torah that I learned. I've been there over the summers, and, you know, the community has welcomed me and asked me to lead the services, and I, you know, help the, the, with the rabbi with officiating on, on funerals and, and other, you know, Jewish ceremonies. So um, I know for sure that the community is, open for me to, to be back as a rabbi, as a Anabayudaya rabbi, um, whether I'm if, uh, from a reform seminary or not, I think they're just open to the idea of having me back as a rabbi and somebody who is coming back with a, some knowledge, more knowledge of Torah to share. I want to thank Shoshana Nambi for a great visit here on Too Jewish. Um, I, you know, I have one final question, which is, what is the experience that you've had in American Judaism that is most uh, surprising or different coming from your Abu Yudaya Jewish experience? That's a very good question. So um, I grew up with, you know, a Judaism of doing. Um, you know, we just, we went to services. <laughs> That's it. We went, if there was, you know, there was a Jewish holiday, we all went. And it was more um, 
studying, like even like, you know, studying Jewish texts was more through, um, I think, a spiritual lens more than an academic lens or more than reflection. Um, so I think that one of the differences is, of course, I am, uh, you know, I, I've been to different Jewish communities and they all have different customs and, you know, there's, they are di- really different customs. The foods are different, the, you know, the clothing, the way people pray. Um, but I, f- I feel like um, I don't even know how to pray. Like in Uganda, people take Judaism and prayers and everything very serious and very um, more like to, for the faith and for hope. And like people sing prayers <laughs> without <laughs> even questioning what the words mean or even if, you know, like they are laying you know, what the implication would be. Like that's like the, the Jewish, the, that, like the prayer they said during that time, it's, you know. Um, and, you know, it, so it's, it's, it's a kind of a little bit different. And I think it's also because of the reform movement that I am in. Like there's a lot of reflection and there's a lot of what does this mean to me? How does this apply to me or does this not apply to me? So that's like growing up, that's not, that was not the case. I think there's beauty in both sides. And I hope that maybe we can find, you know, a middle ground <laughs> when I go back that, you know, that will be like an area to start with. God willing. I want to thank you again, Shoshana, for a great visit here and continued success and ordination and, and all of the great things that are coming up for you. Thank you so much, and thank you for hosting me today. When we come back on Two Jewish, we'll hear about next week's guest. Get a final musical play out. We are the soul of Tucson. We are your neighbors and friends. Our commitment to provide the very best relies on the finest products and services you, our community, has to offer. Together, we make Tucson thrive. When we win, you win. Casino del Sol, the soul of Tucson. Enterprise of the Pasquayaki tribe. Thanks for being here with us this morning on Too Jewish with me, Rabbi Sam Kohan. Join us next week. Our guest will be Emily Tampkin, author of the new nonfiction book, Bad Jews. Don't forget to join us at Congregation Beit Simcha every Friday night for services in Oneg Shabbat at 6.30 p.m. Saturday morning, 2, 9 a.m. Torah study, 10 a.m. services, Torah reading in Kiddush, live in person and available on our Facebook page. Go to BeitSimchaTucson.org, B-E-I-T-S-I-M-C-H-A-Tucson.org for information on how you can join our wonderful congregation. Our play out this morning comes from the Abu Yudaya artist. It's called The Jews in Africa. My friends, have a Shavuotov, a healthy week, a good week, a week we pray profoundly of peace. Shalom Israel and America, the Koyachdim, Bolamase, Koki, alongside David, alongside Rahman. This year is a tune, you know. In Africa, we are the Jews in Africa. Sponsored by Two Jewish Radio Programs, Tucson, Arizona.